Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. Don't they do a great job, right? That tech team. Yeah, I always like to give them some props. They do a lot of work ahead of time to get us ready. So good morning. Welcome to the auditorium service. We're going to continue in Revelation. As you, if you were here early, we read through chapters 12 through 14. But first, before we get into that, I just want to say thank you. Two reasons. One, about 12 years ago, about at this time, was the first time I ever preached. Who would have thought, as Tiff reminded me in an email over the last couple of weeks ago, who would have thought where I would be 12 years ago? Uh, so with that, I wanted to clear up, just take a minute or so. There's been some questions after the announcements about three weeks ago about the auditorium. So I wanted to take just a, just a minute or two to unpack that. First, if you're on the auditorium email list, if you're not, make sure you get signed up for that. Uh, Tom sent out a note a few weeks ago, and he really outlined some things. Tom and Wendy have led us. They're going to continue to lead us uh, here in the auditorium. We're very thankful uh, for that. But secondly, I wanted to talk about as we look to the future, as we try to be, bring us together as one body, Clayton, Katie, and I will preach here a few times throughout the year, again, to drive that unity as we move forward. And when we live stream, we'll do that throughout the year. We'll do like we did in August. Some will be live, stream, live streamed from the sanctuary to here, some from here to the auditorium. Again, as we try to drive unity in our diverse five-generational church, as we provide different styles of worship and move together to the same goal. So hopefully that's helpful as, as we think to the future. Things weren't going to change drastically. Uh, but if you have other questions, stop by. Come talk to me at any time. Now, this morning. So hopefully, as we move forward here, just a reminder, this is some hard stuff to go through Revelation. But as we go through it, hopefully we're starting to see, I think it's great we're pushing into this, to go into this and not just look for information, but that imaginative transformation that we can have, seeing these pictures, tying it to the Old Testament scripture and really bringing it forward. Today is going to be a little bit hard. Are you okay if we push this morning a little bit? Okay, all right. I was going to, I wanted to make sure. And why I say that is... Uh, this morning, I'm guessing many of you will be upset with me when we're done. I'm okay with that. As Brian alluded to a few weeks ago, if we as pastors are not challenging us all, including ourselves, this just becomes a country club. And why do I say this? Today is really about politics. Yep, just saw everybody pucker up. That was great. <laughs> and I think, I think we do that, right? Whenever we hear those words, we kind of move into one of two camps. One, political discussions have nothing to do with the gospel. We privatize our faith. It's better said we relegate Jesus to spiritual things. We buy the lie that Jesus doesn't care about politics or this world. We shouldn't, as holy people, be bogged down by that. But don't forget, Jesus came to this earth, died for us. He cares. The other camp wants to push and lobby that for Christian ethics in the hallways of power. We mix up the lamb with the donkey and the elephant, believing your party holds the key to God's kingdom. Aside from breaking the first two commandments, it's naive and overly simplistic if, if any human system could approximate the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to balance that because I'm in politics. I like politics. So it's not that we shouldn't be involved. So don't hear that. And we'll unpack that a little bit. You can register for either. That's fine. 
but we must put it in proper order. You can't let your party's platform or interest shape your ethics and beliefs more than Jesus does. Okay? So the reality neither is right. Jesus is not apolitical, though. He talks about entities, kingdoms. His favorite topic was talking about his own kingdom coming. We talked about that just recently in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Do we believe that this morning? He talked about politically charged topics, money, taxation, sex, marriage, treatment of enemies, racial justice. So I can have slide three, please. See, I think what we do is we struggle to let go of political idols because we fail to see the politic at the center of the gospel. Jesus is king. The Bible is very political. We'll unpack some of that this morning. Now, this isn't partisan politics that we're used to. It's not that at all, if I can have the next slide. The gospel is political because politics relates to how we organize our thoughts, our public life together, how groups make decisions. It concerns who or what has power over our lives and how that power is used. Again, we pray, thy kingdom come every week. It's a political statement. God is sovereign and reigns over all. We are putting God first. Jesus is Lord of all life, not simply our private spiritual lives. So then we cannot avoid politics. It is not and should not be private. A gospel without a public political dimension makes as much sense as an ocean without water. John understood this. That's what he pushes into. You see, at that time, people were under attack by claims of other gods and lords who you should put your trust or your allegiance to. Politics. So he's pointing out the difference between the politics of the land and the lion, lamb and the lion, and the politics of Rome, which represents every great nation in history. See, God's mission is that we reflect him in all, all that we do. God's politics are missional. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we are saying Jesus is Lord, King of Kings, and we are going to follow him, worship, and testify to him in the face of other competing lords. Money, power. John is trying to teach us how to live in a hostile world with all the authority in heaven that we have. When Jesus died, we have the Holy Spirit. We are the Holy of Holies. We have to keep praying for God's will to be done, as Tom said last week. As we are all being transformed to life as disciple of Jesus through kindness. So if I can have the next slide. So our sermon in a sentence this morning, our hope should be in God, not government. Otherwise we are citizens of the wrong kingdom. All right. If I can have a blank screen. So as we get push into this a little bit more this morning, I want to make sure we just start again with where we're at and, and, and John's situation. If you recall, John is in prison. He's trying to get letters out to people in the churches and he's talking about Rome. So he has to use symbolism. All the creatures, and now we're going to talk about beasts. These are all things, if we all knew our Old Testament like we should, me included, reading it more and more, we would understand these references. There are just over 400 verses in Revelation. 278 reference the Old Testament. There's over 500 references to the Old Testament and the New Testament. So he's using imagery, and much of what we'll talk about, there's several things from Daniel, from Isaiah, as we go through things this morning, and people of that time would understand those references, but that's how he got the letters out, because he was talking about beasts, but people would know that was 
evil rule, government, emperor worship, those different things. And we'll push into that this morning. But another reminder, even though as we read some of that earlier and we'll read through some of those passages again, it looks dark, there's suffering. Yes, but we can take joy this morning. Evil has already lost the war for ultimate control of the universe, but they fight the smaller battles viciously like a wounded animal. But God has already won. So with that, let's jump in. So I'm going to go through each of these. I'll read a few verses. I'm not going to read it all again since we read it uh, earlier. Uh, so I'll be jumping around a little bit uh, just to warn you if you're trying to follow along. But I will f- start with the first six uh, verses of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a wom- woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she went, was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. Stop the tape. So we are quickly introduced to three characters, a woman, a child, and a dragon. All of these people have been involved since the beginning of time. The first, the woman. And if you read commentaries, and I read a lot of commentaries and also two other books, uh, one uh, by uh, Tony Evans, How Christians Should Vote, and the other, i got to remember the author, Patrick Miller, Truth Over Tribe. So if you want to push into some of the things I'll be mentioning this morning. But these people have been involved. Israel, the first, the woman is Israel, God's chosen people, but also Mary, God's chosen way to reach all of us through Jesus. Second, very clearly, is Jesus. He will rule. He is our king. Talks about an iron scepter, which is authority and rule and kingdom. And third, Satan. And I think as we're nearing Halloween, right, I think we all have this misconception of Satan, you know, red horns, red. Satan was an angel. (coughs) Satan's pretty, like an angel would be, but he's death. And the crowns and the heads that it talks about are demonstrations of political and economic power throughout all generations. And all nations are like Satan, pretty, deceiving. They entice us with promises, believe a lie, disorient us so we don't follow God's truth. Look at social media. Look at the news. All of those things disorienting us. It also is an interesting picture of the nativity story played out here with the birth of Jesus. And you see, that was a hugely political event. Not just biblically, but if you look at all the history books that we have found that talk about Herod's rule, they all talk about, just like the Bible does in the gospel, that Herod went and killed all kids under two years old. Why? His political power was in jeopardy. The Bible is hugely political. Moving on, I'm going to skip just a few verses here in the next part of chapter 12. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. 
Verse 10, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. In verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman who went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's command and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So if I can have slide six, please. So this is a painting that I have up in, in my office for those online. Uh, it's Michael. It's the angel Michael uh, in a warrior garb with all the demons around this. I love this picture. It's a reminder to me every day we are, pre, we are in a spiritual battle. It is all around us as this represents. But as it says in verse 10, it reminds our, us of our political head, King Jesus. We will have suffering for a time. Satan was thrown with a bunch of angels to earth and he knows he has lost the battle and he's trying to take as many as he can to hell. And yes, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Too many pastors across the country and even regionally have lost that and moved to universalism. But God judges righteously, perfectly, not as we do, not in anger. But some are chosen, some are not. That is biblical truth. God is sovereign, so who are we to say what is fair or not? With that, we are all worshiping something. We are all heading somewhere. My prayer is those two are Jesus and heaven this morning for all of us here and online. But there will be suffering. It tells us that. Throughout the Bible, it tells us those who believe there will be suffering. And we see that. When the Holy Spirit is birthed in the church of Acts, there's power, there's grace and healing, but quickly persecution. When we were brought into the kingdom and we make our profession of faith, there are attacks. And I don't have permission to unpack all of this, but if you look at our staff, our consistory members, right now there are attacks on kids, marriages, finances, reputations. But God has a plan. Our great hope, he's one, Jesus, and all will be made new. I love that. Now, some of you, I think you know I'm a movie buff. And as I was thinking about this in the spiritual battle and, and this, this scripture section, I thought about, wow, isn't that every great movie of all time? Whether it's Marvel, Batman, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter. There's all these battles, fundamental battle of evil, spiritual good, warfare in our minds, other realms. But make no mistake, we all need someone else. In our case, we need God. We need to put on that full armor of God. And sorry if you don't know Star Wars movies, I'm going to nerd out for a little bit for Star Wars fans, right? Put on that Beskar armor, right? Nothing can penetrate it, not even a lightsaber. Use the force, the Holy Spirit. Listen, discern the Holy Spirit's voice as you make decisions, as you pray. And turn on that lightsaber, that sword. That's the holy, the holy word of God. And we use that as a weapon to speak in kindness and let's go into our world because God has won the battle. That is the promise, even in our suffering, even in our hard times, even what we see play out on TV 
And I saw this quote, and I love it. If I can have slide seven. You see, we need to pray without ceasing because the devil is praying without ceasing. So we must pray. We have to pray. We had a session yesterday, I think 40 people for our prayer 101. That's awesome. We are a church that prays and invests in prayer. We need to be. Chapter 13. Two beasts. Okay, again, so this is hidden language, right? Trying to get these notes out through the Roman guard, talking about Romans. So there's meaning for them, them then and for us now, like much of Revelation. So let's read on. Again, I'm going to skip through, just read some select verses. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and it had ten horns and seven heads. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and slander his name. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The second beast, the beast of the earth. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast and it performed great signs. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. That number is 666. There's a lot here. And as we read the whole thing before the service started, there's a lot. But simply, the, simply put, as you read through and, and look at the great study, the, the great theologians and how they've studied this, these are two beasts that represent military and economic power, the first, as well as false religion and imperial cult government worship. Together with Satan, they form the unholy trinity. So beasts, the people reading that were from that time would understand the beast from the Old Testament. It was ungodly systems as a symbol of evil. They would be equating it to Nero, especially the first beast, the beast out of the sea. Why? <laughs> Historically, when Nero was reigning, he was building a huge coliseum, and it was right on the edge of the water. And typically, these would take like 75, 100 years to build. He built it in less than 10. So this beast coming out of the sea, again, was a reference to Nero. The seven heads are the seven hills of Rome. But it's interesting, historically, through time, this, this beast, also been called the Antichrist, has been labeled Stalin, Hitler, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, etc. You can read more about it in Daniel, Daniel 7, Daniel 13. The second beast, the beast of the earth, represents false religion, emperor ruler worship. See, then, at that time, that was what you had to do, to do trade, the Mark 666. You had to worship the ruling emperor. It was mimicking Jesus. 
See, political parties over time trade lies and promises to keep their power. I'm going to push a little bit here even more. I would say the U.S. is no different. We have a Dutch front. After being married to a Dutch girl for 25 years, I have a name for it. But no different than other countries, Haiti, Venezuela. And I'm going to give you an example. And I've got to be careful and guard the story. With where I worked in 2012, I managed distribution for them across the globe, mainly in North America and South America. I was on a roundtable for distribution with other companies, top 100 companies, household name companies that you would all know. The company I was working for was the only one who didn't do bribes and have people lobbying Congress. They could, for ten dollars to $15,000, get a meeting, which just happened to be under what you had to report for taxes. They love power and money. That's why there's no term limits. We just make it look nicer. Again, I am not against government. I have aspirations, maybe, if God wills it, to be in politics. So I'm not against government. Do not hear that this morning. But we have to be careful and put it in the right order. And 666 in the Hebrew alphabet, it's really interesting. If you ever study the Hebrew alphabet, maybe you don't want to, but it, it, they, they correspond with numbers. And there, there's some interesting things that they do with that. And it actually spells out numerically Nero Caesar, the ruler of that time. It also falls short that's why it says it's the rule of man. It falls short of the perfect number seven, three times. All three of the unholy trinity fall short of God, 666. It's a triple failure. It's not a literal chip. It's not a mark. It's a system. Rome, Babylon, Russia, Greece, Germany. Any country that puts themselves above the lordship of Christ. So I ask again, is your hope in God or government? Again, I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't hate America. I love America. My grandpa just turned 99. Two weeks ago, is at his birthday party, still living out on the farm. He's a World War II vet. Was burned over three quarters of his body in Japan in hospitals for months. Still cranking. I love it. He just fixed an ice cream machine. He was perfectly powered. One of those Taylor ones. Did it all himself. He was super happy when everybody came over for his birthday. My dad was a Vietnam vet. My cousins went to Afghanistan. Michelle, my wife's uh, grandpa is still alive and he was in Korea. I get mad when people kneel, disrespect the flag. Ask my wife, Michelle, if I'm being honest and I'm not suggesting you listen to these songs, but I like, try that in the small town. I like the song Richmond, North of Richmond and Dax is a Christian rapper who does a remix of that song. I don't like some of the words in the song. I don't agree with everything in the song, just for the record. But they've hit an emotional chord with people. Because we need an emotional apologetic today to reach people. The logical apologetic doesn't work, hasn't worked for 15 years. Until we reach people where they're at emotionally, we'll never get them with logic. And we have to be in the right order. That is the main point. For me, most of the time, I fail at this, like everybody else. And most of the time, faith, family, friends, fellowship, fun, politics, and work are down here. Sorry, Kevin, when you're watching this later. <laughs> <laughs> 
God's kingdom and his purposes are first. My king is Jesus. My allegiance is to God first. Thy kingdom come. The U.S., like every other, is for dollars and power. Yes, we can vote and still claim Jesus is king. We should vote. But we can't simultaneously demonstrate allegiance to both. And intertwining those is dangerous. Look at the Crusades, Jihad, the war currently in Israel. We should work to influence our politics in her, here on earth. Absolutely. I pray for candidates all the time. I support candidates. I've been to prayer groups for candidates. I'm a huge, personally, Tim Scott fan. But my politics and allegiance, my politics are separate from my allegiance to God. And why? I want to lay this point very heavily. And I got this, I watched a really great interview with the late Tim Keller. He passed away a few months ago. And he put it this way, and, and I, this really resonated with me. If we look at the Bible clearly, clearly, and I want to, many people would disagree with some of these things that are even pastors, but I would argue most of those have a family situation that's moved them away from this. But if we look at four key themes of the Bible that I would argue even what Jesus would say, marriage is between a man and a woman, period. God is for life, womb to tomb, period. We need to be for the poor and the marginalized, and we need to seek racial justice. All four of those are true throughout the Bible. The tricky thing is, the first two are more Republican, the second are more Democrat. So how do we vote? <laughs> I would argue, like I argued in the class I did last year on how we should vote, sometimes we should vote Republican, sometimes we should vote Democrat. The trick is knowing which is which. We must pray and discern. There is no perfect candidate, there is no perfect party. <coughs> If I can have slide eight. See, both sides of our own political party and spectrum want power and control, ultimately. Okay? Not every candidate, not every person. It's abroad, right? Only Jesus gets that honor and that role. Only Jesus. Okay, enough on that. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, and maybe not. Maybe this falls right into it too. But another piece here is soon after God and we reach into our communities and pray, the dragon and the beast rise up. Many of you know, I love C.S. Lewis. If you read, you know, Screwtape Letters is a, and, and now the new, there's a movie and book, Nefarious. Love those. It's kind of a modern take on that. But they're about an interview with a demon. And basically it says, if you're just watching Netflix, playing video games, watching sports stuff and not engaged in kingdom work, Demons aren't going to deal with you. They don't care. You're not in the game. But if we're in the game, we will be attacked. But again, we don't have to be afraid. We are called to be different, to be gentle, to be kind, faithful, obedient, and love one another. I can have slide 10. So, are you praying for all the signs in the yards around town? I am. All of them. Can I give you an example? This is going to be one of our action steps this week. Can I give you an example of how we can do this? So this is my interpretation. So don't read anything into it, but I'm going to tell you how I'm praying for four specific signs in town. Yes, 
some books in the library shouldn't be there. No, I don't want political leaders involved in picking books for the library. Yes, Don DeWard, I want to invest in the future. Yes, Tony Bakoven, we need to balance the budget. Get the idea? We can find things, those happen to be mine, they might not be yours, to pray for each sign. Pray, discern, listen, and vote accordingly. We need lamb power, not beast power. Wow, time goes fast. Okay, chapter 13, we're going to have to bust through a little, or chapter 14 really fast here, so I apologize. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Jumping ahead, there are three angels. One, the first one talks about worship, the second, witness, and the third is a warning. And then the last section is about the great harvest, those going to heaven, those going to eternal torment. I like numbers. Most of you know that, 144,000. I saw one illustration and I just loved it, so I have to share it. And you may think it's totally stupid and crazy, and that's okay. But 144,000 is really a continuity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. First, 12 times 12, 144. The tribes and the disciples. All of us that claim Jesus. And 10, 10, 10 gets to 1,000. 10 times 10 times 10. It's cubed. The Holy of Holies was a cube. The New Jerusalem is a cube. We are now with the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy of Holies is present with us. We all have access. So 144,000 is not this unique group of people. It's all who believe in Jesus of all time. Then the three angels, it's a call to worship. We need to worship like we did this morning throughout our weeks. We need to be a witness, telling what God and Jesus has done in our lives, know our own stories, but also be a warning. We have to have grace and truth because there is a harvest, heaven and hell. Simply, we are to fear God alone. The battle is already won, but we win through humility, truth, and self-giving love. And we need to start that in our own church I have spent hours on both sides of one issue where we have people in our church that's in this community. And I just have one question. What if we'd have taken all those hours and invested in mentoring our youth? Would that not have been time better spent? I don't know. I wonder. So if I can have the action slide, I think it's slide nine. So what do we do? I struggled with this message this morning as I read through this. And a lot of these things and just watch what's going on around us. But I'm tired of people sitting across the aisle and saying, you're not Christian. Sorry, Brian, picking on you. You're not Christian because of X, Y, or Z. Come on. We have to learn that we can disagree, but still love each other and start there. What you will find is like every great study has found if we take time and truly listen to each other, listen for learning, not to argue, truly listen, we'll find out we all have more in common than we think. We all share more similar values, hopes, fears, and dreams than we think, even if we're on different sides of hot topics. 
We are making unnecessary enemies, driving anxiety, and destroying families with our lack of kindness and willingness to agree or disagree and still go out for lunch. We need to pray for our leaders this week. Pray for all candidates and all the signs you see. I challenge you to do that. Even if it's somebody you really disagree with, can you pray for them? Pray the Lord's Prayer and wrestle if you really mean thy kingdom come. Do you mean it? Is God the center of your life? Is that the kingdom you are following first? So pray. All of us need the center of our power and authority given to us through the Holy Spirit. We all have that. Are you blessing someone or cursing them this week? Can we be a blessing? Amen.